Hello and welcome back to The Rest Room, a podcast about living well with chronic illness. I'm your host, Natasha Lippmann. In our last episode, we looked at ways to address the barriers that come up when we start figuring out how to incorporate movement and exercise into our lives. We learned that we need to throw the whole workout mentality in the bin, especially if movement is new to you, but we didn't cover how to get started, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. This is going to be a more practical episode, so you may want to listen with a pen or your favourite writing app open. You can also access the corresponding blog post where things are laid out nice and neatly to refer to at your own pace if that's how you prefer to take in information. It's definitely how I do anyway. I've also made some free printable worksheets available if you'd like to work through something with more guidance. All of that stuff plus the transcription for this episode is linked in the description. This episode yet again was written in collaboration with specialist physiotherapist Claire Campbell who works with the Physiotherapy Pain Association. And just as usual, please indulge a really quick moment of admin. If you enjoy listening to The Rest Room, please subscribe, consider rating and reviewing on your podcast hosting platform of choice, and share the episode with your friends and social networks. I'm going to say this every time, but I want to make it very clear that the aim of this series is absolutely not to push you into doing something that you're not ready or able to do. All of this is here to provide information to people who could potentially make use of it. Okay? Good. Let's get started. Whether you have little confidence in your body's ability to do the things that you need and want to do day to day, or you struggle to find a way to make movement a sustainable part of your life, this episode is for you. If you listen to our introductory episodes, you may remember that we spoke about the importance of understanding our barriers to movement, and also how we often develop habits or fears out of very legitimate reasons that may be holding us back now. Our aim is to help you find a way to move that feels safe and that you're confident that you can stick with, even if it needs to be adapted on more challenging days. There are lots of approaches to exercise and they all have their own advantages. I actually had an interesting conversation with Claire the other week and she told me that until she was working with patients with long-term pain, she hadn't heard people say physiotherapy doesn't work for me. I think that so many people have had negative and scary experiences of movement or physio that they may feel that because they tried one thing with one practitioner that didn't work, nothing will be right for them. In most cases, this is actually not true. And so taking time to experiment with an open mind may help you find forms of movement that you can incorporate into your life. Within the pain management service where she works, Claire uses a psychologically informed approach to exercise. This is because when you have a long-term condition, it impacts you physically, mentally, and socially. We can't separate our bodies from our minds or separate from our roles and responsibilities to both ourselves and others. So by bringing awareness to your current experience and committing to moving forward, we can start to make progress. But it's important to start wherever you are, both physically and mentally. This whole series and everything that we're talking about is not about telling you what to do or what you should be able to do, but it's about helping you to learn from the insights of others to discover what is best for you and your body. It's also about helping you recognise when you get in a rut so you can work out the best way to move forward. This is very much an individualised approach and there are some questions that you can ask yourself to help you reflect throughout this episode. You may want to write answers to some of these questions down or discuss them with a friend or family member if that helps you to figure some of this stuff out. But as always, it's completely up to you. 
So a great place to start is just by bringing awareness to your current experience. It's probably a somewhat overused meme at this point, but you are the expert in your own body. So being curious about it and the impact that your condition has on it only builds your expertise. Experimenting with movement and strategies to manage your condition is hard work, and it can be difficult to see the progress that you're making. Rehabilitation has been shown to require courage, patience, and commitment to keep going. So if at times it feels tough, repetitive, and you notice that you need to talk yourself into doing stuff, then you're absolutely not alone for feeling this way. It's very, very, very normal. The approach that we're going to be talking about can also give you guidance on how to listen to your body and honour your own needs. This is so difficult to do and really does take practice. And as we said last I was going to say last week, but this is not coming out in a weekly thing anymore. Um, but as we said last episode, even though Claire is literally a specialist in all of this stuff, she still finds it difficult. So I think you should cut yourself some slack because this is all quite challenging, especially when you're starting from scratch. So let's start with some questions that you can ask yourself to get a better understanding of your own relationship with your body and how you move. Remember, there are no right or wrong answers here. We're just trying to get some honest insights to give you a place to start from. Again, all of this is available written down on my blog, but you can also pause and jot down your thoughts if that works better for you. So I'm going to read out a list of questions now. Do you check in with what you're experiencing during the day? Do you notice what thoughts or sensations come up when you're doing or think about doing certain activities? Have you changed the way you move because of your pain? Do you adjust your breath when you do certain movements? So for example, do you um, hold your breath? Do you notice uh, your daily intentional and unintentional activity? How do you manage essential and important activities? Do you engage in more activity at certain times and are you then less active at others to control your symptoms? And do you keep busy to distract from the pain but struggle to rest and sleep because of your symptoms? That last one is totally me. (laughs) That may seem like a lot, but one stumbling block that many people with chronic illnesses have identified is their inability to honestly reflect on and acknowledge their current situation. It's difficult to rebuild a relationship with your body and how you see yourself, especially if you've only ever known decline and not had the support that you need. So what do we mean by rebuilding a relationship? Well, a good place to start is by noticing what you experience when you do movements that bother you, and recognising what your daily levels of activity actually are, not what you think you could or should be doing in a day. And in some cases, you may actually be doing more activities than you think. Last episode, I mentioned my have-done list, where I wrote down everything that I did in a day. This started during times where I was like, ugh, I've literally done nothing but be in bed. But often I'd still have done something, actually many things, going to the loo, getting food, brushing my teeth, talking to a friend, commenting on stuff on Instagram. And just because I was mostly resting physically and didn't feel like I could do kind of quote unquote anything productive, it didn't mean that I wasn't still doing at least one daily activity. The problem was I just didn't take the time to recognise that. There are so many small day-to-day activities that we discount because it's not within our usual understanding of a workout or movement or exercise. But when you start, these are exactly the kinds of things that you need to pay attention to. 
If noticing is a new skill for you, you may want to make a conscious effort to notice for a minute or two a few times a day. Writing down what you've been doing in an activity diary or just the notes app on your phone can also be a way to help you recognise these patterns. This awareness of your life experience is a really solid foundation to build from. Many people adjust their movement in response to pain and fatigue. Again, this makes total sense as you want to try and avoid feeling worse. However, this can have unintended consequences. It's also well known that fear and worry about pain can lead to tension that can actually add to your symptoms of pain, fatigue, stiffness, poor sleep and weakness. And no, I don't mean emotional, mental weakness here. There is no such thing as perfect posture, but sometimes adjusting your posture in response to pain can change movement patterns that may lead to more problems. Common issues include bracing, which is another way of saying overworking by tensing your muscles in anticipation of something bad happening, which is something that I actually do a lot, offloading one area of the body or breath holding when moving, which can all contribute to muscle tension, pain and fatigue. These are things that I regularly check in on throughout the day, and every single time I'm doing at least one form or another. Learning to patiently and slowly break those habits without getting angry at myself has been a really helpful small thing I can do every day to help myself by preventing unconscious movement patterns causing me more pain in the long run. Even though our bodies are part of us and interconnected with our minds, people don't always recognise these unconscious habits, which is why the very act of noticing is such an important part of learning to move with ease. So we're asking you to pay attention to your thoughts, but thoughts can hurt, right? It's really common for people who experience persistent pain to feel discomfort watching or thinking about a difficult movement. This is a good indication that your system has become really sensitive. Equally, stress, low mood and feelings of anxiety can increase physical symptoms. I think I mentioned this before, but because knee dislocations were such a huge part of my childhood, seeing people on TV run or walk in the rain makes me feel physically sick. I've worked hard to desensitise myself, but I have to talk to myself every day when walking around my flat to remind myself that I'm okay. Like, literally... Um, a few weeks ago I spilled water on the floor and I stepped in it and I had a really ridiculous outsized gasping reaction I was like (gasps) because that fear of slipping in the water is so real because that's been a few times where I've had dislocations that I just completely panic immediately and I have to calm myself down and you know have a pair of shoes to get on so I don't slip and it's a whole thing and um Sometimes I can be lying in bed and I just get this feeling where I remember my knee coming out and I have to remind myself again that it isn't happening right now. Um, And I tripped backwards over something on the floor and my knee very slightly started to come out. It was sore when I was writing the episode, but it wasn't a full dislocation and I was okay. There's a very specific feeling that I get when my knee starts to slip over. And even if it happens a tiny bit or I think about it, I immediately have to talk to myself so I don't hook into that immediate panic that I've had since I was a child. And I mean, I know it's super dramatic and I know that I've got much better with it. But this is such a thing because I don't remember a time when my knees weren't a problem and they have always had such a huge impact on my life. So even though it feels ridiculous to sometimes have that feeling pop into my head or um, why I kind of hop 
between bath mats in my bathroom, especially if I have socks on, it's a fear that has been, what, 25 years in the making? And that's not going to go away by itself very quickly. So it does take patience and a lot of mental work to continue to desensitize yourself when that fear is something that you could have had for decades. Just even recognizing when your reaction is outsized, and in my case feels really silly, is a great place to start. And honestly, that kind of self-talk, especially when I've had to go outside when it's wet, has been really, really important at helping to kind of desensitize that um, almost unconscious fear reaction that I get. When people experience long-term pain, the sensitivity of their nervous system and other systems can result in significant increase in pain and fatigue if overstimulated. Often, but not exclusively, this can be if you're doing too much, too little, or a new activity, so sometimes it feels like we can't win. And this is such a fine balancing act, so if you don't notice or acknowledge what you're experiencing, this can result in pushing through your limitations and paying the price later. Over time, this can be really disheartening as well as just awful because you feel like crap. Um, But it can also lead a lot of people to give up on certain activities, which can cause more fear and worry about what else your condition may take away from you. But Claire wants people to know that it's not all doom and gloom, despite what your mind may say. Your physical symptoms like pain, weakness and fatigue are always real. However, an increase in symptoms is not always due to an injury or tissue damage. By recognising your triggers, you can act to limit the impact that they have on your life. And a good way to do this is by facing your usual pain symptoms. What does this mean? Well, I think this is something that comes quite naturally to me and a lot of other people when they've been living with symptoms for a long time. You start to just get to know your body really well and what normal means for you. When you first develop a symptom, it's really new and scary and you don't know what's going on. But over time, it's something that you can kind of just know is there. And even if it's really unpleasant and makes you miserable, it's not new and scary in the same way. You know why you're feeling the way you do and you often have a toolkit, be that painkillers, heat, ice or other coping strategies to help you manage. So it's really helpful if you've not got to a place where you can recognize what is normal for you and what isn't, to be curious about what your most common symptoms are and learn to understand their ways. This can give you the confidence to recognize when you're experiencing an escalation in pain or a new issue that may need a different approach, even if you're an absolute pro at distracting away from them. So for example, does eating a certain kind of food make you more fatigued than another kind? Are there some times of the day when your pain is less? Are you impacted by the weather? Did you inadvertently sit at a weird angle and hurt something you always hurt when you sit that way? Did you spend too long at your computer or playing Animal Crossing and now you've got severe joint pain in your fingers and arms that you don't usually have? Claire says that opening up to your health conditions is not about giving in to your symptoms, but recognising that your current level of function is temporary. I think a lot of people might find that hard to hear, but even if you have a chronic condition, it's not static. Symptoms generally fluctuate from day to day, which is why they can be so difficult to handle. Remembering that just because you might be feeling awful today, it doesn't mean that you'll be feeling exactly the same kind of awful tomorrow. You might even have a really great day for you. Even the worst feelings are not static. 
And there are actions that you can take to improve, sustain, or reduce your level of function. And honestly, I think it's really important to remember that you can be in pain and still have a happy and fulfilled life. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Opening up to your symptoms can help you discover what is workable for you at this time. It isn't easy to make these choices, and it's something that Claire continues to work on, and she does this for a living, so it really does take practice. It's also important to explore other ways of thinking about and dealing with your pain. Being open to everything you experience, warts and all, allows you to be flexible in your approach when new issues arise or when your circumstances change. A super quick example. Over the last few months, I've developed a new pain in my face. It's like nothing I've experienced before, which I knew because I have a good understanding of what my normal is. This pain, quite frankly, is rather bloody unpleasant, It was really difficult at the start to figure out how to balance a new thing, but throughout I kept reminding myself that I've coped with everything so far in my life and I have the tools and strategies to be able to cope with this too. No matter what it is, even if it lasts, I'll be okay. And that helped me adjust really quickly and not get too caught up in panic, fear and frustration. I always give myself time for that though because it's a really important part of the process. Outside of pain and new symptoms, having an awareness of your body also allows you to recognise when you've been able to do something and to celebrate the win, even if you haven't done what you'd set out to do in the first place. Often, people who are experiencing chronic illness will have been told that they need to be more active, but struggle with movement and have no idea where to begin. But committing to moving forward is always a really good place to start. As we mentioned in the last episode, You have to do this because you want to, not because you've been told to or because someone else expects you to. So here's another exercise. Imagine your future. I know this can be really difficult as it may bring up expectations you had of yourself, but please just bear with me here. Some helpful things to consider would be, what is important to you right now? What do you want to spend your time doing? And what do you value about yourself? One of the big things we discussed when exploring barriers to movement was the importance of thinking about your values. Values are the principles you live by, your life direction, and can be the key to integrating meaningful movement into your day. We know that physical activity improves health, can improve condition management, and supports people to train for the activities that they want or need to do as part of their daily life. Some or all of these aspects may not be important to you though. So what is and where do you start? Just by getting this far, you've demonstrated that you want to know more about moving while experience pain, so give yourself credit for that. I don't know if we have a woohoo sound effect, so I'll just make one here. Woohoo! Well done! Um, It's worth repeating that there's no minimum amount of activity that gives you benefit, and those who are the least active actually have the most to gain from being even a little bit more active. The most important thing is that you build a habit out of activity and maintain that consistently, and again, Fatigue, pacing, all of these things play a role and we're not telling you to push yourself in an unsafe way at all. I know I keep repeating that, but I just want to make that very, very clear. It may be helpful to find your motivation for wanting to become more active, so let's answer a few more questions. What do you want to be able to do with ease? What do you enjoy doing? What things do you need to do in the day? Do you want to get fit enough to explore places you've never been before? Do you want to return to a much-loved activity? Do you want to have the stamina to have dinner with family or friends? Do you want to find new ways of being able to relax? Claire would encourage you to just start where you are, not where you think you should be or what you feel like you should be doing. 
Even mentally practicing the movement, imagining how your body will move and feel doing it, can help to train the movement. This is a well-known technique in elite sports performance and has relevance in rehabilitation. As I mentioned earlier, you may be already doing some unintentional exercise when you wash, dress, cook, care for others or do a hobby. This is counted as physical activity, and recognising this is a wonderful opportunity to bring awareness to the movement you do daily, rather than embarking on an extra programme of activity that may be too much given your other commitments. This unintentional exercise will be doing you good, but it also provides opportunities to add a little bit more movement in if that's something that you're able to do. I'll give you some examples, but again, figure out what is right for you here. If you're waiting in a queue, could you do a few leg or arm movements? You could try to put a little less weight through your arms as you stand up from a chair. When you're walking, whether it's from one room to the next, or if you're going for a walk, try going a little further or go a little slower because it's harder to control the movement that way. When you're brushing your teeth, you could squeeze your muscles and then relax them. Or you could stand on one leg, holding one arm onto the sink if you need it to help you balance. Of course, this is not exhaustive or will be right for everyone, but hopefully it'll give you an idea of some small changes in the wider ballpark of things that you could experiment with. If you want to start intentional exercise, do something that you enjoy with someone you enjoy spending time with or a movement that prepares you for something that you enjoy doing. As Claire says, it doesn't need to be complicated. It's about connecting with your body and feeling safe. And enjoyment is key when you start, as you want it to become a habit. There are lots of different types of movement, and this can include things that you may want to practice, or just be more general things that you do throughout the day. For example, putting on your favourite music and having a bit of a boogie, whether you're sitting, standing, or lying down in bed, is still movement. Some other examples include marching on the spot, going from sitting to standing from a chair, and this is actually something that I started doing using a chair in front of me for support, and was super helpful because standing up from a chair is one of those things that, you know, I kind of have to do every day anyway, so I was building a really functional movement. You could also do calf raises while you're brushing your teeth, or arm lifts during a YouTube ad break. Even making a conscious decision to pay attention to your posture when sitting on the loo is a way to add some postural stability into your day. You can start with doing each exercise a few times. If you can do these movements consistently, you will improve your confidence in your body. Try to get others in your life involved too, as that can help with motivation. We have a running joke in my house about how I am the queen of fitspo, and even though Sebastian's exercise regime is obviously way more intense than mine, jokingly celebrating just how fitspo I am, and making sure to actually, kind of jokes aside, recognise and celebrate any improvements is really helpful and important for keeping me motivated. She says flexing her big muscles. Um, But actually, you know, I... Um, just took a few weeks off being able to do anything and when I came back I hadn't made any um hadn't gone backwards you know and I think even just recognizing that that I had built up a level of um stability I suppose that meant that I could take that break without having any adverse reactions which is something that I hadn't been able to do in the past was something that I was really really proud of Claire encourages people to experiment with the range of movement in each exercise, the number of repetitions, how fast they move, and for how long. But all of these aspects start low, like really, really low, and build yourself up very slowly. A lot of online resources recommend trying to aim for a certain number of repetitions. However, Claire suggests looking at time instead. 
Time can be really helpful on your worst days as you will likely do less repetitions than the previous day, but you will still complete your movements. So for example, if you're starting from scratch, you may feel up to doing one minute of movement. You may choose three movements to do, knee bends, side steps, and arm lifts. Try and do each exercise for 20 seconds with as many reps as you're able to in that time without focusing on the number. Getting into the habit of a minute of movement once, twice, or three times spread throughout the day is an opportunity to build confidence in your body. Of course, this all depends on your personality and what stage you are in your training as well. And don't forget to breathe. It's so easy when you're concentrating or nervous to inadvertently hold your breath. So pay attention to make sure that you're not doing this. You may want to experiment with breathing out on the effort. That's the harder part of the movement and see if it's helpful. When talking about rehab and making improvements, as important as it is to set goals, it's equally important that the goals are actually realistic. So for example, if you're at home all day, almost every day, it'd be really unhelpful at the beginning to set yourself the goal of walking around the block every day. It may sound manageable just now, but as soon as you have a difficult day or the weather turns, it won't seem like a good idea, and as soon as you stop, you might feel like you failed. However, that's got less to do with you and your abilities than it does to do with the goal that is just set at the wrong place for where you are right now. And I think that's actually something that's really important to think about when it comes to so many things around chronic illness, that sometimes we've just set the goal a bit too high for where we are. And then, you know, it's almost being set up to not succeed in that, you know? And so it's not actually about it being a failure at all. So rather than thinking about doing intentional movement every day, maybe start with three times a week or whatever you think is realistic for you. It's also worth thinking about when you have your highest amount of energy and motivation during the day. You could even put it in your diary so you could treat it like you would if you were going to an actual appointment, with of course the caveat that if you have to adapt it, that's fine too. Figuring out when you're most likely to be open to choose to do your movement practice and having a backup plan to dial back if you're not feeling up to what you usually do can really help your habit to stick. And if you're having difficulty fitting in your movement, please notice what else you're doing that day or that week. So for example, if you have a week where you're doing a lot of cooking because you're entertaining or you've got a lot of work or you know, you've had to emotionally care for someone in your life, those are all very emotionally draining things. Um, even if they're good things. Um, and so, you know, your exercise and your recovery time is going to be affected by that. So it's really important to take all of this into consideration rather than being overly prescriptive. And just like with pacing generally, this takes some forethought and planning. So let's move on and talk about short-term discomfort for long-term gain. We already know that people with long-term pain have more sensitive systems, so your body is probably already on high alert and can react to any change in your routine. It's also really common for people to just generally freak out at any worsening of symptoms, but it's really important to learn the difference between expected discomfort that is short-term and not actually causing you harm, and the actually unsafe stuff that you absolutely should not be doing. 
I like to call this a difference between good pain and bad pain. And again, I know I keep saying this, but it takes time and curiosity to learn what is good and bad for you. Claire explains that when thinking about how much to move, you can start by exploring the soft edges of the movement. I had no idea what that meant when she first said that, but the soft edges are where you begin to feel tension, weakness or pain. Exploring this and gently seeing how far you can move can be beneficial. For example, if bending your back is difficult for you, practicing doing this when sitting, bending slowly to the first area of tension and then gently exploring that. Often people find themselves pushing into the hard edges as they believe that they need to feel the exercise for it to do them good, when actually there are many layers before we even get to that super hard, painful part. Unfortunately, in the early stages, moving into the hard edges can feel like you're out of control, resulting in increased sensitivity. Using the difficulty with bending example, bending too quickly can cause pain and tension, confirming difficult thoughts and knocking confidence. In the short term, an exercise may also cause delayed onset muscle soreness, which we can shorten to DOMS, that is felt strongly one to three days after exercise, or may cause a flare-up for three to seven days afterwards, but it could be even longer. I often found that the second day after doing something, I'd get a really big pushback, but sometimes because a day had already passed, I'd not actually make the connection between the movement that I'd done the days before that and how I was feeling now. So learning to recognize that pattern was super helpful because it enabled me to understand how I was feeling didn't just come out of nowhere. DOMS has been reported by many people living with long-term pain and is something that you can prepare for using your own personal toolbox of coping strategies that we mentioned before. Some people actually feel like this pain is easier to deal with because it's something that they know the cause of and is something that came from working on their health. It all depends on how you feel about this though and what you're comfortable with. Equally, when your health is in a bit of an upswing, it can be tempting to double up on the amount that you're doing, but this can often be too much too soon, and for some people, well, if you're anything like me anyway, can lead to a boom and bust cycle that can end up doing you way more harm than good. For most of my life, my strategy was to do as much as I could until I dropped. But then I'd really drop for a really long time, and that's not ideal, but I think, especially when I was younger and I didn't understand a lot of this stuff, It felt easier to push myself until I had to stop because then it wasn't me making a choice to not do something, it was because I physically couldn't. (laughs) Um, So this is where, once again, pacing comes in. It can be helpful to think of increasing your intentional movement by a small amount, say 10 to 20%, every few days or each week, but again, only if that is safe for you to do. And remember, by movement and activity, we're talking about all of the stuff that was mentioned earlier, so that even means, you know, like if you don't normally wash your face every day and you are washing your face, that is an activity. And we're not here talking about going for a run or any kind of workout. It's any kind of um, thing that you're doing throughout your day. But you totally don't have to or need to try and increase if you're already happy with the amount of activity that you're doing. Often when people try to do more activity, they tend to think that their current level feels good, so they double it, instead of gradually building up tolerance to this activity. And I just want to take a moment to shout out mobility aids here, as they can play a really important role in helping to conserve energy and allow you to engage in more enjoyable activities. Many people feel like mobility aids can bring freedom and independence, and as I said last episode, I personally found that the biggest unexpected consequence of getting a mobility aid was that it enabled me to save energy and pain from forcing myself to move badly. 
and I was then able to focus on safe, appropriate strengthening. But also, and I think just as importantly, they enabled me to get out way more, feel safer, and actually enjoy doing things. And that, aside from, you know, working on getting stronger, is completely valid in and of itself. Mobility aids are there to use as and when you need them, so it's okay for your device needs to change too. Many people are reluctant to adapt a movement or use an aid for a whole host of reasons, and that's completely okay, and it comes back to your values, society, and, you know, it's totally normal to grieve losing an aspect of your mobility. I actually tend to get quite pissed off when people just reject that as a concept, because if you could do something and now you can't, Although there is obviously still so far to go when it comes to normalising and getting rid of the stigma around mobility aids, especially for people with invisible disabilities, we can't deny that the personal experience of loss is also really tied up with that. There is no doubt that this work is hard, it takes courage, patience and persistence. Again, those of us who are privileged enough to get help and support are at a substantial advantage when going through this process, which is why I hope that this information can help anybody who doesn't have that support that they need and deserve right now to take those first steps towards incorporating movement into their lives. Knowing about your condition and persistent pain can help. Being open and reflecting on your whole experience is the first step. Noticing when you are experiencing difficult thoughts, sensations and emotions can introduce choice where you can decide what strategy best suits the situation you find yourself in. Barriers will show up for you, circumstances will make it difficult to keep going, but recognise them for the blips that they are rather than a setback that means things will forever stay stagnant. I hope this has given you some tips on how to get started with a movement practice. Remember, it doesn't matter how slowly you go. If you're consistent, you'll still be building habits that will hopefully enable you to do what matters in your life, and ultimately, that is the most important thing. In our next episode, we are going to be doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be interviewing Claire about her experience of being a specialist in pain management, who still struggles with figuring out pain management. After that, we'll be helping you figure out how to make your very own plan for when flare-ups rear their ugly head. But for now, I think we'll leave it here as we have covered a huge amount of information today. So thank you for spending your time with me in the restroom. Links to all the resources are in the description and you can find me on socials at Natasha Lipman. That's L-I-P for Peter M-A-N because I apparently don't say my name properly. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please do tap the subscribe button to be notified of when new episodes are released and consider leaving a review because that's really, really helpful. One final huge thanks to Claire for working with me on this series and I'm super excited for the next few episodes. Bye bye for now.